Hello, hello, this is Jonathan and you're listening to the Johnny Talks Podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hola amigos, I hope you're having a great day wherever you are, whether that's in Barcelona, Chiang Mai or Prague. And if you're a new listener, I want to give you a special welcome and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, we will speak to my friend Brad D'Antonio from Man Overseas. Brad is a traveler and likes to venture overseas in different cities with his wife. We will talk about the specifics of his current lifestyle, how he has focused over the years to reach this this lifestyle, and we will end up with very powerful insights on building self-confidence. Our engaging discussion will involve many great book references, personal finance tips, lifestyle inflation, a Porsche 911, and we will also dig more than usual into psychology and habits. And both Brad and I are opening up much more than usual, so it will definitely be a must-listen episode. So without further ado, I propose we jump right into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Johnny Talks podcast. I'm here with my friend Brad D'Antonio from Men Overseas. Uh, we actually met at uh, FinCon. He's a blogger and podcaster. And as you heard, Men Overseas, that sound quite uh, interesting. And in our brief talk, he mentioned two keywords, which triggered my uh, my interest it was well first his the name of the blog and podcast men overseas and location independence and real estate so i thought i thought okay well we didn't meet for long but at least uh, my interest uh, you got my interest pal so um yeah we stayed in touch and of, and uh, here we are so brad welcome to the show hey thanks for having me I'm glad to be here and yeah i'm uh, i'm calling you you're in uh, thailand right now right Yes, Koh Samui on an island in Thailand, the Gulf of Thailand. Okay, excellent, excellent. So, yeah, man overseas. The the the, the title says it all. So, uh, you are you based in Thailand permanently, or you're traveling around? What's the idea? We are traveling full time, so we try to spend thirty days in each location that we visit. So, we just got here from Chiang Mai, which is in northern Thailand. And before that, we were in, well, we went to D.C. for FinCon. And prior to that, we were in Vienna for 30 days, and Prague for 30 days. So just to give you an example of, of what we try to do, we negotiate with Airbnb hosts for 30 days. They're a lot more negotiable when you can stay that long. Mm-hmm. And it gives us an opportunity to sort of live like the locals and then uh, move on to the next place. <laughs> and so it gives us a chance to explore different locations while living like locals. So we love it. We'll dig a bit uh, into how you afford this kind of lifestyle a bit uh, later on. And, and regarding all those locations, so you mentioned Prague, Vienna, uh, etc. And um, any favorite one so far? Yes, Prague and Chiang Mai, as of now, are 1 and 1A. We absolutely loved Prague. It quickly became our favorite city. And now that we've spent 30 days in Chiang Mai, it's going to be tough to choose which one to go back to, but hopefully we can do both. Okay, so you've been to Europe, to Asia. I mean, is there a set bucket list that you have for your destinations or how how is the process going? There's not a bucket list. In fact, most of the places we visit are repeats, places that we've been already. So um, I've been to almost 60 countries now. I started traveling in May of 2015 
And since we're going to be staying in different places for 30 days, I kind of want to make sure it's a place that we're going to be comfortable in that I can work from because I do have a blog and a podcast and um, it's fulfilling to me to continue to be progressing towards things that I want want to accomplish. So early retirement just isn't sitting on a beach all day sipping margaritas. There is some work involved. So we need to be (laughs) Places that we know that other people are working too, and the internet connection is good. So, mm-hmm. if there are criteria for how we choose where to go, that would be a few of them. Okay, excellent. And then, um, so you mentioned thirty days in the destination per. Uh, I mean, yeah, one one destination per month, and you've been doing that for uh, more than four years. So, if I sum it up, we quickly come to yeah, fifty, sixty uh, destinations. So, uh, yeah, well. How, how do you plan all this or do you have any websites and how do you do your research actually? Well, we have a home base in Houston. Well, actually right now we don't, but for the first three years of the traveling, I had a rental property that was vacant that I had moved all of my stuff into. Uh-huh. And when we were using that as a home base, the way that we would decide where to go is whichever place was discounted as far as flights go. So there's a site that I use quite often called escapehouston.com. So we're from Houston, Texas. And on that site, they will have flash sales that last anywhere from 12 to, let's say, 72 hours. And you have to jump on them right away. And typically, you will get a round-trip flight to Europe for less than $500. Or this trip to Bangkok. I know, man. And so this trip to Bangkok round-trip was $500. So since we track our expenses every month, and make sure we stay under our monthly target, we just sort of, uh, you know, if we're going to travel somewhere for 90 days, we will allocate the cost across three months. So if it's $1,000 for both of us to fly, well, then we apply $333 to the budget for those three months, each of those three months, if that makes sense. Yeah, I see, I see. So, so you, every time you go on a trip, you go back to Houston afterwards. You don't go from place to place? Correct. We typically go back to Houston. And ah, the reason is because I have to see a neurologist for this. Uh, I have a condition called supratrochlear neuralgia, which is just inflammation of a nerve in my head. <laughs> so I have to visit my neurologist every, thir- every 90 days or so. And so that's what takes us back. But it works well because the, the flight deals that I talked about earlier are round trip flights. So you can't book one way. So there you go. Okay, excellent. And then... Um... I was wondering one thing because you retired early and then you um, okay, you travel around, etc. You still make some income through the blog and the podcast. Uh, how does that work with the taxation? Are you then a tax resident in the US or uh, how does that work? I am, yes. So we didn't have, we all, I'm sorry, we always had a, an address in the US, mm-hmm. which was the rental property that we had moved our stuff into. But um, now I am using, we're using her parents' address and I, we haven't done taxes this, so it's a little complicated. So we've only been married since May of 18. Mm -hmm. So we just did our taxes together for the first time this past year. And it gets pretty complicated with all of the things that I have going on. So it's all just sent to my accountant and he takes care of it for me. But to answer your question, yes, as U.S. residents so far. And then healthcare, how does that work? Then you, you get reimbursed by the U.S. Uh, 
healthcare system or how does that uh, apply when you if you break your leg in in Chiang Mai when you uh, I don't know when you do the some death rides or whatever it's funny you ask if we're reimbursed so the United States doesn't have nationalized healthcare so we're not reimbursed we have to pay for it out of pocket and you can either get a private insurance plan or you can self-insure and pay out of pocket so for my wife She has, we have a, a plan for her and I have been self-insuring, but next year we're going to get on a plan that has a catastrophic component to it for me. And then she will have more of a full coverage. And if you just Google international health plans, there are several providers. Uh, we, we use Cigna. Mm -hmm. And just to give you an example, it's, I think we pay $300 a month and I'm covered if I were to get cancer or something. But if I were to break my leg, As long as I'm not staying overnight, I would have to self-insure and pay out of pocket. I see. As I asked the question, I was like, why am I asking about healthcare to somebody from US? I know it's a big topic there, but yeah, it, it's just when you when you travel around, it's it's one of the first thing I think about. It's taxes and healthcare. These are my uh, the questions I'm always wondering about. How does that work, etc.? Will you be covered by your home? Country. I mean, in Europe, we have the healthcare system. So I'm based in Luxembourg. So as long as I'm a resident here and I pay taxes in Luxembourg, and this applied as well when I was living around in Norway or in France and in Belgium, where I'm from, you know, whatever happens, as long as you're a tax resident, you get the similar coverage. Yeah, and we pay a lower tax rate and have to pay for taxes ourselves. <laughs> But if you're employed full-time, you do have a healthcare plan typically with your employer. Yeah, okay, so that's good. During your trip, so you've been traveling for uh, a bit more than four years. So any funny or uh, shocking anecdotes, anything that really surprised you in, in uh, any particular country? Probably the poverty that I've witnessed gives you a new frame of reference for looking at America. For example, we don't have true poverty in America. We have relative poverty, which is just that person has more than me. Mm -hmm. But really, when you visit other countries, you're witnessing abject poverty, which is people living in straw huts on less than $2 a day who are eating a staple food for two meals a day, which might be a porridge. And they're lucky if they get meat or fish once a week. So That's this. That's what stands out in my mind when you ask the question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I understand because if you, you know, I was born in India, so uh, uh, I'm Belgian, but I was born there. So I've been seeing images. I've been, of course, because as I grew, of course, I watched TV and I've been to India myself on uh, when I was 12 or 13. Then you're I've been confronted with that image without uh, meeting it physically until I was 12 or 13. So kind of, okay, it's in my head. I'm lucky, I'm grateful for where I, where I am now and I have uh, food every day. And uh, yeah, so I, I think that's important to realize as well in our society that, yeah, well, dude, you, you, get, uh, you get food every day, you have a roof. Maybe you're, you're not happy at your job, but you have a job which brings you income and which helps you to have a decent living. So don't, yeah, it's, it can be often forgotten in our society where we compare uh, yeah, to each other actually. Yeah? Yes, we have problems of abundance nowadays, not scarcity. 99% of human history, they had a scarcity problem where they would have to eat to the capacity of their stomach. Right now, you and I don't have any friends who don't know where their next meal is going to come from. 
and there are parts of the world where people still don't know. So it's something that I think everybody should get a chance to witness, and it would hopefully make people more grateful. I think the most important characteristic to have to go through life with is that of gratitude. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I started myself um, being more grateful. Yeah, about two years ago, I started this kind of process of being grateful every day. And it really helps me in my mental, um, okay, say not mental health, but I would say in my, um, yeah, actually in my mental strength. This is the, what I was looking for in my mental strength, because if I'm grateful, I'm, I feel more confident as well, actually. I like that. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get on uh, later on about that. And just uh, about this uh, lifestyle that you have about traveling, etc. And you, so you said you were married and I, I met actually uh, your wife, a lady overseas. And since you, you just married, uh, um, and when did you start dating actually with, with, the, with her? We started dating right before I started traveling. Or no, actually I met her right before we started traveling. And then we started dating when I had to come home a few times. So I've always had a real estate license and I've used it primarily to acquire properties for myself, but I also help good friends of mine when they need it. And there were a few occasions after I started traveling where friends of mine needed help with real estate deals. So I would return to the States and I would see her and we'd go on dates and we just sort of stayed in contact. And then she came to visit me one time in Argentina. Mm -hmm. and I invited her to visit me across the Pacific. And so we did a lot of Southeast Asia. We traveled for like five months together. And you get a good sense of how compatible you are when you spend that much time with somebody. And my wife and I were very compatible. And so it kind of took off from there. Okay. So it was not, uh, you didn't have like, um, how can I say? Uh, it was easy to get her on board, basically, in, in this type of lifestyle. That's uh, what I was getting at. So perfect. But she was into this kind of a lifestyle before you met her or not at all? Well, it's a good question. She had not traveled much when we met. Okay. But she grew up very poor. So her parents, like her, her mom grew up in probably abject poverty. She was one of 13 kids. Her dad was one of 10 kids. And so they didn't have very much. And so she was raised with very little. And so she's accustomed to living on very little money. And then before we got married, I asked her to start tracking her expenses so that we could get an idea of how much combined we were spending every month, which would help me to gauge whether or not we could continue to travel and live this lifestyle that I was already living. Mm -hmm. And once we combined our expenses, we, we easily stayed under that threshold. And so we decided to embrace this early retirement, full-time travel life that we're living. So no, it wasn't hard to get her on board. She, she loved the idea. <laughs> yeah. And as long as, yeah, I mean, I, I just needed to make sure, like as long as we keep our travel our, or our expenses low, we could do this forever. And so I wrote an article for a guest post for Physician on Fire, physicianonfire.com. And I said in that article that sometimes our families or our friends will question, like, why are we tracking expenses? Um, are we on a tight budget or, or are we poor? <laughs> and you know, I don't explain it to them, but we laugh about it. I mean, we're tracking expenses so that work stays, op- stays optional for the next 65 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's great. And uh, one last question about your travels, because, okay, now you, you're in uh, Thailand, you've been in Europe. How long do you want to keep this uh, 
traveling, is that something you want to do indefinitely or do you want to settle in one location in Houston or I don't know, somewhere else? Uh, at some point, do you want to stay in one location permanently or not? I think the only thing that would ground us would be children, mm -hmm. which we do want at some point. But I think that that would only ground us for the length of time that she would be comfortable being pregnant and having an infant. And then we would take off again. So pretty much everywhere we visit now, we get a sense of whether or not this is a place where a child would be comfortable or we'd be happy we'd be comfortable having a child so the place we're in now in post Samui is a two-bedroom that would easily accommodate a young person <laughs> so yeah yeah. Uh, yeah we get to we get to do a little research as we journey just the two of us to, to see what it would be like if we had a third yeah i, I like that uh, philosophy because then you you travel but then it gives you a sense of hey do you want do i see myself living here and uh yeah i, I like that idea and I've had that as well. I mean, it's not the thing I'm looking for, but I had this good feeling when I was, I went to San Diego after FinCon, but I've been there before. So I, I know the city, but it's like a place. Yeah. I could see myself living in <laughs> really. It's like, I just feel good. Yeah. The problem arises when there are a bunch of places that feel good <laughs> and opportunity <laughs> cost applies, whether you're spending money or spending time and how to allocate it, where to spend it. And, you know, every month that you spend in Koh Samui is a month you can't spend in Prague. Yeah, so correct. this falls under what I alluded to earlier about problems of abundance, right? You have yeah, yeah. so many options that sometimes it can be tough to make a choice, but what a beautiful problem to have. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so this, uh, I think I'll close the, the men overseas chapter here, but I think the, the important question and maybe some readers, uh, sorry, sorry, some listeners, I'm still need to get used to the podcasting thing. So some listeners may be thinking, yeah, okay, uh, all this traveling abroad, it sounds good, but how did he get there? How, how do, does one get to retire? And we are the, both the same age. So, um, so you retire, that means that you retired at 34, 35. How does one manage this financially? How, how do you, How do we get to this? Because most people, most listeners are uh, working in their nine to five jobs. They're maybe happy or not. Uh, I think it can be interesting to see how they could as well uh, afford this lifestyle or at least retire so early. Well, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of sacrifice, a lot of discipline, a lot of luck. It takes surrounding yourself with the right people. Mm -hmm. It's a favorite quote that I have that says that I follow that I've internalized basically that says that the true rewards in life, the true rewards in life are on the top shelf. And the way that you get there is by standing on the books you read. So I've read tons of books since I graduated from college. I like to joke that my education started when I graduated from college and <laughs> the three books that I, the first three books I read when I graduated were the richest man in Babylon by George Clayson, rich dad, poor dad by Robert Kiyosaki and The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley. And those books served as kryptonite for lifestyle inflation mm -hmm. because what I was able to do is keep my expenses low. And as my income started to rise, I just focused on extending that gap between my income and expenses. So I was very deliberate about my lifestyle. If I was spending $2,000, but I made $10,000 in a month, well, I might give myself a 10% raise 
And so then I'm living on $2,200 a month instead of $2,000 a month. But then I've got $7,800 to save and invest. And so what I started doing was allocating it um, where I saw the most return. And at that time, it was not in the stock market. It was, well, I also wanted to invest in what I knew. And I knew real estate because I had a real estate license. So I started putting money towards paying cash for real estate while at the same time maxing out my retirement accounts. And then in excess of that, I opened a brokerage account. And so I've been investing in individual stocks, taking some chances on on individual stocks with less than 10% of my net worth. And so I have my portfolio in in its entirety consists of uh, stocks and equities and bonds and real estate and you know, the, we have income from the businesses that we've started. I have a coaching business, the blog, the podcast, and all of that. So uh, to, I know that's a long-winded way of answering your question, but it was a, a whole host of things that I was able to do, including having two jobs that got me to financial independence. So the income continued to go up because about four years into my career, I got into software sales, but I retained my real estate license. And just as a function of my friends getting older and buying more expensive houses, I was able to assist them in my quote unquote, what's what's now known as side hustle. I was able to assist them in purchasing and selling real estate while increasing my income every year in software. So I had this, these, this dual income that I was able to live on a fraction of the salary that I was making from software Mm-hmm. and invest every commission dollar that I made from either software or real estate. And so I knew that I would never regret paying cash for real estate. So I was focused on getting my earned income up while my passive income was just compounding on the side. I wasn't really focused on, on that aspect of my financial life because I was striving to be CEO someday. I wanted to improve my communication skills and my sales ability and just get better in my career. And meanwhile, all of the investments and stuff were just a, a side thing that I would just throw money at while I continued hustling. Well, well, that was a long answer, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, it sums it pretty well. So if I sum it up, I mean, what I understood is that after college, you, you, start, you, you read voraciously and there was uh, three books that kind of uh, really gave you the the mental strength or the yeah the avoided you to enter the in the inflation lifestyle is the richest man in babylon rich dad poor dad and uh, and the millionaire um, the what is the millionaire mind or the millionaire next door thomas stanley wrote both of those books they're both excellent the millionaire okay. next door and the millionaire mind so, um, yeah, those three books help you to get the good mental, uh, how can I say, the good, um, yeah, the, the mental habits, the, the, yeah, the mentality of not uh, getting into the lifestyle creep or lifestyle inflation. And then you really had a focus on building up your skills. You put money as, as soon as possible. You saved a lot of money and you try to put it as soon as possible in real estate. And, and as you continued your career, you, you still had your real estate license, which helped you as well to identify better deals, help your friends, etc. So all in all this, I mean, all this knowledge and this uh, money compounds in the background and you, yeah, slowly you're building your financial independence. Yeah, with a focus on net worth. 
Yeah, and that which I think everybody should track quarterly. But as you're doing that, and most of the folks in the fire community live on dividends and interest from their Vanguard account, for example, mm-hmm. if if you're doing it using real estate, you know that once your passive income from real estate exceeds your expenses, then you are financially free. So you can still focus on your net worth while living on your real estate income. And meanwhile, the Vanguard accounts and your retirement accounts, you don't have to touch those. So that's, that's a large reason, a large part of why I encourage people to invest in real estate, because you can use that to fund your lifestyle while everything else continues to grow. And the real estate equity should continue to grow if the homes continue to appreciate, which they should. But yeah, to, to sum up, I know I gave you a long-winded answer, but I would just <laughs> say books, a side hustle, yeah. no vacations for 10 years. No uh, vacations. Yeah, the only week-long vacation I took was to San Francisco, and my employer paid for the flight because I had to go there for a conference anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. That's how diligent I was. And I know that's sort of antithetical to the European way, but I had big dreams. And um, yeah, if you want to achieve financial independence by your early 30s, that's the sort of sacrifice that you need to make. No, it's really, it's not shocking. But, uh, you know, here, you know, we have 25, 25 days, 30 days, depending on where you live and what the conditions are. So, you know, you know, I, I know I've talked to a few Americans and we know the stereotype. Right? It's two weeks of holidays per year. It's already shocking. And you tell me you didn't rest for 10 years. <laughs> it's like, wow. Right. And I was a sales guy. So when you don't work, you don't get paid. And mm-hmm. I was focused on the almighty dollar. Yeah. Wow. And, and then, but you say, yeah, you, you, had a laser, you were laser focused. We were talking about... Um, lifestyle inflation, etc. that you, you didn't go into that, but still in a way, and that you're buying real estate, but in a way there was this car that you, you wanted to buy. So can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Oh, you must be referring to the article I wrote about driving a Porsche in your thirties. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So when I, when I began my career and started getting pay raises, I made a rule for myself, no luxury cars until 30, until I was mm-hmm. 30 years old. And even then, only if I could pay cash. I didn't view luxury cars bought by 20-somethings as status symbols so much as I thought it signaled stupidity, right? Because in, in an age of easy credit, if you're driving a Range Rover, that doesn't tell us whether you're making $50,000 a year or $500,000 a year. Exactly. And I also knew that compound interest was the eighth wonder of the world, right? That's what Einstein said. So every dollar that you spend on a luxury can not be invested. And if you can start investing in your 20s, by the time you're in your 40s, you're you're looking at a lot of money. So I went to the dealership and got into an awkward conversation with the sales guy. Since I was a sales guy too, bad salespeople stand out like sore thumbs to me. So he and I went back and forth and I told him I would think about it. And then on the way home, I was stopping to fill up my tank of gas because they don't give you $50 when you show up with a full tank on, your, on the car that you have that you're trading in, right? Mm-hmm. So I was checking my email and I noticed that there was a, a house that came on the market that was, I think it was, they were asking $74,000. And remember, this is the downturn in the economy between 2008 and 2011. And so I decided that if I could get that house for $70,500, I was going to pull the trigger. And so I started negotiating with them and 
once you combine the discount for representing myself in the deal, because I have a real estate license, the final number came in just over $68,000. And we closed in 25 days. I, I pulled the trigger. I had at least within a week. And so in the article that you're referring to, I said at the end of the article that as of May 1st, 2019, that one property has added $183,651 to my wealth. <laughs> and yeah, over $100,000 of that is in cash flow from 108 rent payments plus over $83,000 in equity because the house is now worth over $150,000. So I go on to say that some lessons can't be explained to a kid that he must learn them in his own time because at the beginning of the article, I told the story of how I was in third grade and I begged my dad to buy a Porsche and my dad was like, we're not, we're not getting a Porsche. <laughs> you can stop asking. <laughs> so I couldn't wait to be an adult so I could buy my own Porsche. And then it just so happened that I ran into a bad sales guy and he kind of talked me out of buying the car on the way home. I was filling up with gas, got an email about a property, ended up buying the real estate instead of the Porsche. And those are the sort of decisions that have led to the life that we're living now, which is a life of total freedom. Because, oh, I should say, if driven conservatively, that Porsche today is worth less than $10,000. Yeah, exactly. So a difference uh, of 170,000 or something. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Now, what I, I read this article, I thought it was funny because when I was a kid, I had as well this image of a Porsche. I don't know somehow the 911. Uh, so exactly the image on, on the article, which I link in the show notes. But this is kind of uh, my image of the, the car, the Porsche 911 of the dream car. And I, I really like this car. And then the thing is, now, I'm, uh, since I live in Luxembourg, I uh, drive more because before I was living uh, in large cities where I didn't need a car. And now I, I drive uh, not every day, but almost a, a few times a week. I like luxury cars. And here in Luxembourg, you see Maseratis, Porsches uh, at every corner. And yeah, okay, sure. I, I think it's beautiful, but I don't want to pay for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to drive one of, of them, uh, you know, like uh, I would like to drive a Porsche or maybe rent it for one week just for the experience. I, th I thought that would be cool, but I don't feel I need to buy it. Or maybe if, I'm, uh, if uh, I have a few real estate deals that uh, cash flow and then, uh, yeah, maybe I could buy one a bit later. But right now I'm, I'm in my journey to accumulate wealth because I started later than you. So I'm, I'm in my journey to, to get to the financial freedom and the Porsche. Would be nice to have, but uh, I don't need to uh, to be validated socially or something, and I don't. Uh, it, it will slow down my um, uh, my path to financial freedom as well. So for now, it's not a priority. I would say. I love what you said there. Yeah, you have to put constraints on yourself, right, in this time yeah. of abundance, because I had little rules for myself, like I'm not going to drive a nice car until I'm thirty. Mm -hmm. Um, you said that you can rent it. You don't need to buy it. Those are little rules that you put on yourself. And, and even, you know, I know one of your favorite authors is Ramit Sethi, right? He wrote the book called I Will Teach You to Be Rich. He talks about how it's okay to spend on things that you absolutely love. So if cars are your thing, by all means, if you have the income to support it, hopefully it's passive income that's paying for a luxury like that. But by all means, indulge yourself but that means that you're going to have to sacrifice in all of these other areas sometimes you'll drive by this little rinky dink apartment and see this fancy range rover or porsche in front of it and you realize well that person made a decision to go for the car but he's he's making sacrifices in other areas <laughs> so 
Yeah, those are choices you need to, to think about and reflect on, maybe take out your journal when you're tempted to, to impulsively buy something, you know, put a little rule on yourself. Like I'm going to think about this for 30 days before I buy it and see if that doesn't change your way, your change your mode of living a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Like that. And, um, Brad, uh, so you, you, you write and, uh, speak, I mean, on your blog and podcast about money, about real estate, but as well, there's a dimension, uh, which I really liked. And, uh, I was kind of uh, binge reading <laughs> on your blog, uh, as, uh, to prepare this episode, but as well for fun, because it's really interesting. Uh, you blog as well about um, self-development, which is a topic that you, you enjoy, and this can be heard in the way you speak and uh, the references you're making anyway. But there was a, a question. Uh, it's a real question that I have for you. I have people in my entourage that deal with um, self-confidence uh, issues. I mean, it's, you know, there are people that are smart. They have... Uh, they have a good education. They, um, I don't know, they, they have everything for themselves. But sometimes I see it, uh, whether it's on the workspace or in my personal life, it's friends or uh, people that I know. And you really see they struggle with self-confidence. Like they, they position themselves a bit, not wrongly, I would say, but they, position, they put them in an inferior position as to what they really are. And sometimes it saddens me and... And I want to help them. And I sometimes I had discussion with some of them, with some, uh, for example, colleagues. And I say, yeah, but dude, why do you say these things? Why do you put yourself in a worse position than you are? You are smart, you're this and that. And I don't know if you had any tips to, for me to help them build their confidence, to, to make them more like, this is who I am. This is what I'm worth. This is blah, blah, blah. To make them move forward in their careers or in their personal life. But actually, my example is more about uh, careers. So how can one help each other to build confidence? Well, self-confidence is earned and it mm -hmm. must be tied to discipline. So you build confidence by forcing yourself to do things that most other people aren't willing to do. And when you can force yourself to do what you should be doing, that's going to build your confidence. So when you can't force yourself, your, your confidence is going to suffer. And I'll give you an example. So if you know that you should be going to the gym but instead you sit on your couch and watch Netflix, you not only won't be as confident because you lack a physique and you're soft and sloppy, but you'll know that you couldn't force yourself to do what you should have done. And so your reputation with yourself is going to suffer and therefore your confidence is going to suffer because only you know whether or not you were able to force yourself to get off the couch. So, One of the reasons so many millennials struggle with confidence today is because their parents coddled and protected them from getting hurt. No, let them hurt. <laughs> let them struggle <laughs> through it because you build confidence by going through and doing hard things and forcing yourself through the struggle, allowing yourself to feel the feelings of rejection and hurt. Because once you endure it, you will come out of it with a sort of Teflon armor. Those who don't suffer and endure and who instead self-medicate or drown themselves in alcohol, what they're doing is blocking out the feelings that they should be embracing and allowing themselves to feel because mm -hmm. those painful emotions that they're experiencing, those terrible sensations that course through their bodies, that's where your growth lies because that can be transmuted into positive energy because those sensations have created something that they're in you and 
it's better than feeling nothing, right? So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Take negative energy and transmute it into something positive. So another thing that I've written about is how to transmute into sexual energy. So when you have the urge to, to, we all get that urge, it's like eating, right? A lot of times it, it comes pretty much every day. Well, what do you do if you indulge and waste that energy? You've done nothing for yourself but indulged a temporary pleasure. But if you could transmute that energy into something more positive and productive, that is going to build your self-confidence, right? So um, I've got a lot of examples I could, I could think of. But um, yeah, for the most part, just channel the emotion that you feel into positive action when I, my buddies who are hiring people all the time, I will tell them to ask about habits because mm-hmm. your habits are everything. And so instead of going for Netflix, go for the book. Instead of going for the Snickers bar, go for the apple. All of that builds confidence and it shows up in your handshake and your eye contact and breeds success in the workplace, right? So it's, it's habits, it's discipline. Self-worth and self-esteem is always tied to disciplines. It's not, it's not taught that way, but that's how I encourage people to think about confidence is going through hard things. Eat yogurt instead of ice, ice cream. Write in your journal instead of scrolling through social media. When everybody else is scrolling through social, social media <laughs> and you're writing in your journal, that breeds a certain confidence that says, I'm not like the masses. I'm a little bit different. Right. I hear people say I hear people giving advice to to fake it until you make it. You, you, you can fake confidence that may work in the short term, but you're you're better off working through your tough times to build your confidence because genuine confidence is only had through work and sacrifice mm-hmm. and enduring so I don't know, you probably, I don't know if you heard me on Bigger Pockets. It was episode 305. I told a story about a good buddy of mine, his Matt. He lost his only brother to cancer recently. And it was hell on him in his last days. His brother was so weak, he needed to be carried upstairs. Now that he's been through that, he feels untouchable. Like, you've taken me to the lowest of lows. Mm-hmm. And what's happened is you've endured it, embraced the feelings, come through it. And now he's like... Nobody can mess with me. And I'm telling you, you can build the same confidence if you go through hard things. So something that happened to me as a kid, my, my dad left, my mom uh, pretty much did away with me also. And so what happened was I went from being a, a playground legend, that's what one of my buddies at my wedding called me, a playground legend when I was a kid, to having it all taken from me. And I had to move to a big school in another state where – it was more popular to be a gang leader than it was to be good in sports. So I became a nobody. Once you become comfortable with being a nobody, you can't be affected by things, if that makes any sense. So you have to be comfortable with the struggle. You have to do hard things. You have to live it and embrace it, and you'll come out of it more confident. Yeah, and, and when I hear, um, I'm, I'm thinking about my... Uh the people I know in my entourage. But then when I hear you, your explanation, it makes sense. Secondly, what I see is that actually it's not about addressing this specific issue at work or in the private life. It's about embracing a total, a whole lifestyle and making, I mean, daily habits, getting out of your comfort zone, etc. It's a whole lifestyle actually that will help you build the confidence and which will help you in your private life or at work. 
this is how I understand it. Absolutely. Work harder on yourself than you do on your job because your mm-hmm. jo- working hard on your job is just table stakes. If you want to build a presence and have self-confidence, it starts with the first tiny little thing that you do in the morning. There's a U.S. admiral who talks about making, making your bed. Your bed. <laughs> yes. There's a reason that you do that. You start small and it builds momentum to accomplish the next thing and the next thing. I have people who, comp- who, who tell me how I walk. They're always talking about my walk, my buddies. Uh, mm-hmm. They say that I have the most unconsciously self-confident walk they've ever seen. Well, I don't even realize that I walk this way. The same way that I probably don't realize that I look, I look interested when people are talking and I make eye contact with them and I shake their hand like, I'm, like they're somebody. Because I have developed these things over time that they're part of me, right? I'm not trying to walk confidently. It's just who I am. It's who I've developed myself to be. And it just naturally emanates from the way that I carry myself. But I've been through the struggle and I've been through the hard times and I've come out of it. And so what are you going to do to me now? I mean, that's how my friend feels. You can't touch me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like Teflon armor, like mess with me. What are you going to do? Like I, I've been where nobody, my parents didn't want me. <laughs> what are you going to do to me? You know, nothing. Yeah, and, uh, and as well, I've talked about this on a few blog posts as well about the comfort zone. And it's when you get go out of the comfort zone that you benefit from massive growth, whether that's personal or professional. When you try something new, you try a bit something out of the ordinary. And that's where you learn new stuff. That's where you get more confident. You know, in the technical stock analysis, it's called a, a new uh, past resistance become new support, meaning it's, uh, you know, what was... A threshold now it's it's your uh, lower level so he, you you grow you grow you grow by doing things unconventionally or doing things you never thought of before i mean for me for example the, i mean the most concrete example i have now it's is the podcast okay i'm uh, i'm not a native english speaker i'm doing it and i and i'm confident it will help me in my communication and in my um in presentation skills as this is an example and three years ago i would never think i would do a podcast and talk to um, thousands of people. This is one. And then I have other examples at work where I tried something new. I proposed, you know, I, I suggested stuff. I advised my, uh, recently I advised my supervisor on actually his job. So <laughs> I advised, I, I put a presentation together and say, well, look, if I was the manager, I would do this, 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 and this. So, you know, I do things. I don't know what, what the consequences will be, but at least I grow And it may, and it builds up some skills, and this is what I want. What I want to do because I, it works towards the goal I want to. That's it. Set goals, and as you're progressing toward them, enjoy the journey because 99% of the time you're going to be striving for that goal, and 1% of the time you're going to be celebrating that goal. So you better learn to enjoy the process. And as you start to achieve your own goals that are written in your own journal. That's going to build confidence and that is going to emanate from you. And it doesn't matter if it's a personal fitness goal, which has nothing to do with the workplace. Once you get your physique going and you discipline yourself to force yourself off the couch and get into the gym every day, that's going to show up in the workplace. And I have uh, just want to rebound on this because I'm sure you read it uh, since you're such a voracious reader. The Power of Habit. You, you've read it, I guess, no? No, I read James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, but I haven't read The Power of Habits. Ah, okay, but uh, I recommend it as well, but I haven't, I mean, I'm the contrary, I haven't read the Atomic one, so 
it's probably something to put on my list as well. But there's a passage in that book, and maybe it's in the, the Atomic Habits as well, but it, he talks about keystone habits. And um, what it says in that chapter is that when you build a sound habit that you follow, for example, going to the gym or managing your money well, you know, you start to building up, you manage that habit, and somehow the positive habits have um, a positive habits on other areas in your life. Meaning, if you start to go to the gym, apparently, so automatically, you will suddenly eat more healthy. You will be better concentrated at work and maybe and produce better. You will manage your money better. I mean, apparently, they could not explain it properly in the book, and they say, we have not no scientific evidence or no scientific grounding founding for that, but it's called Keystone Habits, and it it has work. It works. Absolutely, everything affects everything else. If you go to the gym, you're not going to stop at McDonald's and get a Big Mac on the way home. You're yeah, probably exactly. going to eat a healthy meal, chicken and broccoli, or something like that. And then that night, when you go to bed, you're probably more likely to read a book and meditate or pray. And then you're going to, because you worked out and ate well, you're going to sleep better. And then you're going to wake up with more energy. And so once you start to manage your life this way, you'll figure out how to maximize your energy. You'll know how different foods affect you because hopefully you're eating for results and not always taste. You'll know exactly how much sleep you need. You'll know how to maximize your energy levels. Everything is going to affect the next thing. So I like what you said there. And, and, and as far as your finances, you're absolutely right. It works the same way with your finances. If you can force yourself not to drive a nice car until you're a certain age, or if you can force yourself to rent it and decide, you know what, I don't need to own this car. I'm comfortable renting it. That guy over there, he needs to own the car, <laughs> right? And, and that could be an insecurity on his part. Maybe he's compensating for something that he lacks, or he feels the need to demonstrate his success to other people. But when you start to incorporate all these little disciplines into your life, one of the things that you'll get better at is not caring what other people think because you're not comparing yourself to other people. You're comparing yourself to the person that you were yesterday or last year. And what keeping a journal does is helps you to track your progress, um, not only through the years, but uh, uh, along, the, um, along your goals track, right? So you're setting goals every year or every quarter, however often you do them. And you're able to see how you've progressed and then you can see your growth over time. You know, when I look back and read my journals from my 20s, I'm like, no way. I can't believe that's the same guy. Well, I'm not the same guy, right? There's an old saying that says you're the same person five years from now and, uh, other than the books that you've read and the people that you've, meet, you've met. Well, I've got this whole list of people that I've met in the last 10 years and this big, huge list of books that I've read. And so I'm not the same person. And so to look at my growth is incredible. Uh, but I know that because I've tracked it and my confidence has grown simply as a byproduct of, of tracking these things and seeing my personal growth. So, yeah, it's not a relative thing. Don't compare yourself to other people. Just build your own confidence. It's your journey. What everybody else is doing does not matter. You mm -hmm. don't want to be like the masses anyway. Absolutely not. And uh, yeah, <clears throat> from this interview, you're really, Brad, you're really not like the masses. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Hey, and uh, have, this is really something particular that I'm actually struggling with, social media. So you, um, you, you mentioned, yeah, social media, write a journal instead of uh, scrolling through social media. I've been getting better at managing my time with social media. I, sometimes I'm at home and I block 
two hours, three hours, and it works well. So this is something I'm trying to do now. And the, during those two or three hours, I read a book or something. But in general, sometimes, you know, I'm just scrolling aimlessly and it's hard to, it's a habit, it's hard to kick off. What do you do with social media? How, any habits that you develop to, to kind of get rid of the, those habits? It's a struggle for me too. Those apps are designed to give us consistent dopamine hits that will get us addicted. <laughs> so <laughs> being conscious of that, it is a fight between us and them. And so one of the things I try to do is figure out what everybody's addicted to and then invest in those companies. So I hold stocks like Amazon because people are clicking on two-day shipping and, and buying things that they don't need. And I have Netflix stock because people were Netflixing and chilling years ago and that became popular. I think if people just were to invest in things, and I'm not advocating for, for investing in individual stocks, usually it's gambling and not investing. But if you will just pay attention to what people are using and what people are addicted to and then put your money there, you'll be better off than spending your time there. Uh, but it's a new world that we're all trying to adjust to. And yeah, as true. someone who has a blog and a podcast and who is for a long time, I was anti-self-promotion. I mean, I didn't talk about all these things that I'm talking about now, but I was convinced by friends to start a blog because they told me that I had a lot to offer. And instead of going back to work after taking, I had taken about a year and a half off and then talked to people about going back to work and they weren't so interested in paying someone a lot of money who was willing to walk away from what I walked away from, you know, the career that I had. So um, I value my time and my skill set enough that I decided I'm, you know what, I'm going to continue traveling. But then people con convinced me to, you know, you have a lot to offer. You should probably share it. So that's what I started doing. And it started as a fire blog. Uh, but I knew that if I expanded the scope of my writing beyond personal finance and, and talked about that, which helped me to become financially dependent aside from the monetary aspect of it, mm -hmm. that, you know, that's mindset. And de developing a certain mindset will help you to achieve financial independence much, much sooner. So that was why I started doing all of that. And uh, it since became a self-development platform. Uh, but it's tough, man, because, you know, when somebody tweets something about you. The, yeah, the, you want to respond. You know, on the <laughs> not only that, but people are, are such self-promoters that you take that and you retweet it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, like, um, I've become friends with the quarterback where I went to college. He's, he's a, a stud quarterback, all-conference player of the year and all that. And I noticed when somebody says uh, Chase Forcade had three touchdowns last night, he takes that and retweets it. Well, that's not the world that you and I grew up in, where if somebody scored a soccer goal and, some, and a fan said, hey, uh, Jonathan scored a goal last night, you take it and retweet it, right? That's, but that's the world we're in now. So if you have a blog and a podcast, you have to self-promote. You have to be on these platforms and quote yourself and take the quote from your article and, and promote it on Facebook. I mean, that's really awkward and it's a struggle and I don't <laughs> like doing it, but it's part of the game. So like you, I will set aside time where this is, this is the time that I'm going to spend on social media and I will get that stuff done. And otherwise, just be conscious of my time. So if I'm mindlessly scrolling a social media app, catch myself in the act and motivation, I'm sorry, meditation can help with that. And, and just as a mindful technique, remind myself, hey, I've got books that I want to read. 
I'm going to put my phone down in the other room, set the timer, and I'm going to be reading for the next 45 minutes. So I would do things like that, and that, that helps me stay on track. Excellent, excellent. Well, Brad, I think this was a very, I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, from your trips to the practical tips to real estate, how you got started and how you um, managed to achieve your uh, financial independence so early, to the self-confidence tips, which touched upon habits, which is a topic I, I really enjoy. Very, very insightful and very valuable for the audience. Uh, this is a great episode. And uh, before we head off, uh, Brad, I always ask uh, three quick fire questions to my uh, guests. So first one is, um, what is your best investment so far? Can I say myself? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I would say investing in myself. Mm -hmm. Okay. You already mentioned a few books. Um, but what is the favorite book you would recommend to anyone? It doesn't need, not need to be uh, financial, just any book. Which is the book you recommend to everybody? The book needs to be the one that you can't put down. Mm -hmm. So if you find a page turner, I would turn to people that, that you trust their recommendations. And it doesn't matter what genre. It could be personal finance. It could be fiction. It could be self-development, it doesn't matter. Just find a book that you can't put down and that's the one you need to devour. As far as the book that I recommend to most, oh, sorry, I should say that the reason I say that is because so few people are reading nowadays, especially books, that that's why that's so important. And I think it's important to develop the habits similar to making your bed. Once you finish one book, it'll encourage you to get another book and another book. Uh, but as far as the book that I've recommended to the most people, it would be How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. This isn't the same exact answer I would, I would say, actually. Yeah, this book, it's amazing. And then I have a last question about investing again, but it's a bit different than usual. So I, I changed it a bit. What is the best purchase you have made for under, under $100? I really like the Sperry's that I'm wearing right now. <laughs> They've, they've got a lot of miles on them, but they're a really solidly made shoe and they go with everything. You can wear them with jeans or shorts or whatever. So I'm going to say the Sperry's that I'm wearing right now. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And Brad, uh, so thank you so much for being a part on the show. And uh, how can people find you actually? How, what do you do? So you, you blog, you podcast, anything else that you offer uh, on, through your website? It's not through the website, but I do offer personal one-on-one -on -one coaching on Mondays. It's helping people to achieve financial independence, primarily through real estate investing. Mm -hmm. The blog is manoverseas.com. The podcast can be found on Apple and Spotify. Just search two words, man overseas. And then people can also follow my adventures on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at man underscore overseas. Yeah. So uh, whatever Brad posts, uh, please retweet. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brad. It was a great episode. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I really enjoyed the conversation too. And thank you for all that you're doing for the FIRE community. Well, that was quite the episode. Great points, great value, fantastic discussion with Brad. I hope that you enjoyed it and that you learned something from it. And if you did, make sure you retweet this episode to Brad and myself and ask Brad what his travel plans are. And here are my quick key takeaways from this episode. Early in the episode, I liked Brad's point about not being faced with true poverty in our Western society. We have problems of abundance rather than problems of scarcity. 
and it's just simply easy to forget in our society. So let's not forget to be grateful. Yeah, the second point I've written down is that yeah, if you're gonna go for a Brad's lifestyle of, of traveling, etc., living off your real estate income or any other form of passive income, it will be important to track your expenses. And the funny thing that he mentioned is that people will probably mistake this for poverty or being on a tight budget. Yes, sure, you will be on a budget, but it's to afford the lifestyle that you want and not to um, and to make sure that you will not go back to a life you don't want. In order to be able to afford this lifestyle, Brad's approach was to keep expenses low and avoid lifestyle inflation, meaning not increasing your lifestyle as your income grows. He started to read voraciously, learning and growing, and he kept on investing with a focus on his net worth. Simply put, your net worth is all you own minus all you owe. For example, if you have a house worth 250,000 euros and your mortgage is 100,000 euros, your net worth is 150,000 euros. Another great point he made is that in today's age of uh, easy credit, driving a Range Rover or a Porsche or any other luxury car does not signal that you're making $50,000 or euros or 500,000 euros. It's not possible to tell. Regarding self-confidence, I'll just say this. Self-confidence is earned and is acquired through discipline and consistent habits. And the last point, that's more for me, but recording an episode at 6.30 a.m. in the morning really gets me to open up much more. So that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to me. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcast. And of course, please do not hesitate to contact me. If you have any questions or feedback, send me an email, john at johnnytalks.com or connect through social media at johnnytalks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And amigos, once more, thanks so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time.